Well, last week, we uh, celebrated Easter, and it was a glorious celebration, and we had a good time, and now we're back to normal. Life's right, just normal stuff, normal stuff. But what was interesting, um, early in the week, there was a lot of focus and emphasis on resurrection, and a lot of focus and emphasis on what that means to me as a Christ, as a Christ follower. And um, so in my own personal study, I started doing some research and some study. And then as the week progressed, the Lord convinced me that this was what he wanted me to share with you guys. It is more, it's going to be hard for you. I would recommend you simply just take notes and then get together later on this week with a cup of coffee and a friend and chew on it. Because this is something I've had to chew on all week. Um, I will have the scriptures up on the screen. And I would just, I'll also have this sermon recorded and it will be on our website. So you can listen to it again later. But uh, what this enti- is entitled is The Hope That Lies Within Us. And the scripture that I've had in front of you all morning was 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, which says, Always be ready to answer everyone who asks you to explain about the hope that you have. And you see, we celebrated last week all about our faith and Easter and the whole thing. So if I were to ask you, what is the hope that you have? I would expect you'd probably talk about some of the themes from last week. But let me just ask the question. What is the hope that you have? Anybody? If you were to, if you were to, if you, I mean, if you're a Christian, what is the hope that you're holding on to? Future. Future. Eternal life. Eternal life. Your relationship with Christ. Somebody else said something? Peace with God. Peace with God. Okay. He completed his job, death is completed, and because of that, you're saved, you're free. Okay. He makes all things new. Talk about God making all things new. Okay. Well, the um, the idea of eternal life, which one of y'all said, and what Elsie said about he completed his job and made all things new, and I have hope. And then somebody else, Ruth, I think, said the future. Um, One of the things that we read, I think it was last week, said um, if all, or maybe it was just in my study, if all we have is a hope for this life, that I can be cleansed of my sins and that I can have a good relationship with God, but that there's nothing beyond this life, that I just die and that's it, and I cease to exist, then I'm to be pitied more than all. That's what the scripture says. And so there's this idea about us having something beyond death. We celebrated last week, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It is no longer, the grave has been defeated and Jesus can't be held anymore. He's actually ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father and all of that. Well, uh, those are all good words, but what do you really believe about that? What do you really believe about that? Now let me, let me talk about this eternal life thing real quick. If I were to go to a regular, just everyday, run-of-the-mill, not church-related 
funeral or celebration of life, or was sitting in a in a in a, 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 a living room somewhere where someone had just lost a loved one, what are some of the things that you would hear people say to them? They're in a better place. No more pain. No more suffering. What about this one? The last line of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. What about, I'm going to go where there's harps and streets of gold and everyone sits around on a fluffy white cloud. Or he's, he's looking down on you. Your loved one is... Your loved one is looking down on you. Your loved one is, is you know, still in your heart or still in your life. Okay. Um, there is... And, and there is no way that I want to uh, get into the... Whether they were Christian or not Christian. I'm going to assume everyone we're talking about right now had a right relationship with Jesus before their death, and they have now died, where are they? I'm not talking about everyone in the world. I'm just talking about for this discussion, where are those people who have died with faith in Christ? Right now. Huh? In the Lord's presence, in heaven, what? With the Lord. People say in the arms of Jesus. In the arms of Jesus. In Abraham's bosom. Are they awake? Paradise? Are they awake or are they asleep? What does the Bible say? Bodies are asleep, the spirits are awake. Ruth was saying awake. Are they conscious of what's going on around them? Are they able to communicate with this life? Are they able to communicate with God? So I'm just trying to get some understanding of what your training and your discipling has already been so that I don't go in a bad direction and and confuse people. See, the thing is, is that we say we have this hope, and we say we believe blah, 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 but what do we really believe? And can you articulate it when asked? Because guess what, folks? The time is rapidly approaching where you will have people in your community who haven't a clue about God or the Bible. They've never really ever opened it, never had any instruction in it at all. And they're going to ask you an open and honest question and you're going to have to give them an intelligent answer. Because it's going to be hard enough to believe as it is. Somebody raising from the dead, your sins are forgiven, all of your stuff is set free. Those, those statements that we made today ring true in our hearts and they can make us feel wonderful and happy and peaceful and oh praise God but you go out into the street and people are like y'all are a bunch of nuts I was hearing like no I was hearing I thought it was hot wax coming down it's not thankfully Okay, so this idea of eternal life, this idea of resurrection, this idea of the afterlife, this is what we as Christians say we believe. If you were to turn in the hymnal to reading number 8, you'll see the Apostles' Creed, which is the, one of the most ancient creeds of all of the Christian, Christian church. And it says, at the tail end of it, I believe in the Holy Ghost 
the Holy Catholic or Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The last two statements of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body and in the life everlasting. Well, isn't that the same thing? What is it? Are we really physically resurrected? I mean, physical, are this body that I'm in, resurrected, comes alive again? See, I got one shaking her head and one saying yes. Hmm. Let's see, this is what the Church of the Nazarene's Article of Faith says. When you look at our doctrinal statement, the Wesleyan Arminian statement, it says, Article number 16 in our, in our Statement of Faith, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. That the bodies, both of the just and the unjust, shall be raised to life and united with their spirits. That they have done good, that they that they have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So, what we say we believe as Wesleyan Arminian people, Christians who follow Wesleyan theology, is that the bodies of all humans, whether they were in right relationship with God or not, will be raised to life and their spirits reunited with their bodies. That's our statement of faith. Now, there's a bunch of stuff that goes along with that that we really don't have answers to, but there are some things very clearly delineated in the Bible about this. So I wanted to talk about it, and these will be highlighted in a minute. I couldn't get rid of the shadows on the screen, I'm sorry. The very first one we're going to be looking at is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And this is the one that says, um, I'm going to have to turn to it as well, so bear with me just a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in clay jars. Now, what is this treasure? You have to go back a, few minutes, a little bit. Verses 1 through 6 say, Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we don't lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we have this treasure in clay jars. So it's this light shining out of darkness and the, and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that we have. In other words, it's this, this salvation that we have. There's something going on in us, which I don't have time to even go into. We can do that some other time about the the quickening of our spirits being right, right, made right back into the relationship that it was at the time of original creation. But the reality is that the rightness that's within us is housed within a mortal, perishable, corruptible, physical body. And that's a problem because we can't get these mortal, physical, corruptible bodies into the afterlife. 
Now, before we get into that discussion, let's look at what some of the other things the Bible says. Daniel chapter 2, verse 12, verse 2 says, Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. The reason I included this verse is just to give us the understanding that this isn't a New Testament teaching. This is a belief of the ancient Jews as well. That there would come a time when those who were dead would come awake. They believe in a resurrection. The Jewish people do as well. Their resurrection in their theology is that every human being will be resurrected at the end of the age. Every single one. And that's why... Jesus' resurrection as an individual coming by himself, being the first among many, that was an unacceptable teaching to them because it went counter to all of their theology. Their theology wasn't that there was a resurrection. Their theology was that when the resurrection happens, everyone believes. Now, we can also go back to the Gospels and we can see that there were sects within the Jewish culture where some believed in resurrection and some didn't believe in resurrection. We can go back to the... To the uh, to the story of Paul crying out, saying, I'm being tried because I believe in a resurrection. And all of the people start fussing and arguing amongst themselves, and he's able to get away. So the point is, is that, that, that it is ancient Jewish culture that they, I mean, and the theology that they believe in a resurrection, but it is a general resurrection, not an individual resurrection. Now, 1 Corinthians 5.15 says, Flesh and blood cannot inherit God's kingdom. And that's what I was saying about this part, this body that is, uh, that is, um, sickly and dying cannot get into heaven. There has to be a death. And John chapter 5 verses 28 and 29 says, twenty-eight and 29 says, don't be astonished at this for the hour is coming. This is Jesus talking. The hour is coming when all who are in their graves will hear the voice and will come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So Jesus himself is talking about a resurrection that all will participate in. Now, the question then comes when people are asking, what do you believe? I believe in resurrection. Okay, what does that mean? That means that my body, this physical body, is going to be brought back to life. A zombie? I mean, I'm trying to just think it through as you're talking with somebody who doesn't know what you're talking about. You mean you're going to be a zombie forever? That's disgusting. No, I'm going to get a new body. Well, you just said this body is the one that's being resurrected. What do you mean you're getting a new body? Well, um, uh, well, let's look at what the scripture says. First Corinthians chapter 15 is where we're going to be a lot this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35 says, Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Now, Paul goes into this dissertation about how the wheat seed gets planted, and it's not the same body that comes out. You know, it goes in a little seed, it comes out this big, long branch. This big t- but the, the point that he's making, and what comes out in verses 50 to 54, is that we will all be changed. It says well, in verse 50 through 54, what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will all die, but we will not 
Excuse me, we will not all die, but we will all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Now, What Paul is saying here is every single human being, whether they are dead or whether they are walking around alive on this earth, in one instant, this is going back to the ancient Jewish belief, there will be this bringing back to life. Uh, It will be the body will come back to life, the spirit will be rejoined with that body, and if you're alive on the earth at that moment, when when God says it's time, then even those of us who are alive, our bodies will be instantaneously transformed and changed from the perishable to the imperishable, from the mortal to the immortal. He's not really at this point saying anything that's violating or contrary to what the Jewish traditions were. The question then comes is, if you read in verse 42 and 44 of 15, it says... So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Well, let's break that down. It's imperishable, verse 42. It's raised not in dishonor, but in glory. And the, the, the understanding there. I think for me, the way I understand that is go back to the time of the innocence of Adam and Eve in the garden. They are no longer ashamed, but they're not even worried about their body at all. They're just in the presence of God. There's no shame. There's no, there's no, uh, it's just, I'm no longer dishonorable. My body is glorious. It's only weakness. It's raised in power. And again, that goes back to the idea there's no sickness, there's no death. And then it's a spiritual body. And this is the hard thing. And this is something you're going to need to chew on for a few days, because I'm still chewing on it. What does that mean, it's a spiritual body? If it's a physical body, which most scholars will tell you, it's a physical body, what is Paul saying when he says it's a spiritual body? Go ahead. Exactly. You are tracking 100% because that's the very next verse. 49 says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. In other words, our body, our new body, will be exactly the same Makeup, if you will, the same uh, abilities of Jesus's. Well, what was Jesus able to do? Yes. He's not bound. What? Not bound to the physical laws. 
Now, the last one in this section is Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Let me read that to you guys. I saw a new heaven, a new earth, and for the first heaven and the first heaven, first earth had passed away. The sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. This could lead me into a totally different vein of discussion, which is what I'm going to do next week, talking about what is heaven, what is the afterlife in the body that we're going to be in. Right now, we're focusing only on the body. But this idea here is that with this body, there's no more crying, there's no more pain, there's no more mourning. All of the things of this life that were dishonorable are, are gone. Yes, ma'am. Oh, okay. Let's have a question. Now, um, the question that has come up numerous times in the reading and in various things that I've looked at. I mean, I read Wesley's sermons. I listened to a, 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 listened to a teaching, a video teaching online. I've been reading a book called Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright, uh, which is a good book. It's a heavy book. It's really hard to read. But if you have an opportunity to read it, it's Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. He's one of the most prolific New Testament theologians on the earth today. Um, one of the questions that they've asked and it goes back all the way to the days of, of the early 300s. How in the world can anybody claim that this body, the one I'm currently in, is going to be resurrected? Because, for example, Genesis chapter 3, verse 19 says, You came from the dust... To the dust you're going to return. That is the earliest statement of molecular structure and atoms that we have in the Bible. To dust you shall return. Think about it. There are many ways for a person to die other than just simply dying and being buried. They can be burned. They can be killed in an explosion. They can be mauled by an animal. They can be drowned out at the sea. In so many of those cases, the physical body that they were in at the time of their death ceases to be a physical body. You can go down to where the Titanic sunk and you can find evidence of human beings. You can find shoes and you can find other things that they were wearing, but you don't find bones. You don't find a skeleton. And so, what is this idea? How in the world is it possible? I mean, really and truly, I was at a, a, at a conference when I worked at Focus on the Family. I, I was working at a physician's conference, and they had a guest speaker up there who was talking about um, our physical bodies, and he literally said, it's so gross, he literally said, we human beings slough off 15 pounds of cells every single year. And he said, maybe that's why all of our old couches are so heavy. But... <laughs> But think about it. Literally, in 10 years, you're not the same physical person. Okay? Your hair grows. 
your fingernails grow, your skin sloughs off. Literally, in a 10-year period, you go through every cell you've ever had. So how can you say declaratively, the same body that I'm in will be the body that I'll have at resurrection? C.S. Lewis said, think about it like this, folks. When you see a river turn into a waterfall, there is always the curve of the waterfall. Always. But it's never the same molecules of water. Okay? The curve of the waterfall stays constant. But the molecules of water that pass through that curve do not. And the curve of the molecule, I mean the curve of the waterfall is our physical body in talking about this idea of the entity always stays, but it never stays the same. Does that make sense? It's hard to think about. Exactly. Well, and see, that's, that's the thing that, that... We'll talk about that in just a little bit, in just a second. But, but that, that idea of the body is the same but not the same. There's something different about it. There's something that wasn't recognizable. Was it the fact that these guys weren't expecting to see a risen Jesus? That they weren't recognizing him? I mean, I, I really don't know. But John Wesley, when I was reading his sermon... His words, which I kind of had to go, well, you were living in the 1700s, it's the best you could do. His words were, he truly believed that God knew us at the time of our creation. And he said, he knows where every single molecule is. He has no problem bringing those molecules back into the same configuration to make our bodies. That's his business. He said, I simply trust that he's in charge. And what he says is, we will have a physical body at the resurrection. And it's God's business to know how and when and where and with what means. Now, getting to this idea, whoops, getting to this idea of the physical characteristics. There is some teaching that N.T. Wright was talking about in his book. And he said, when he taught a class in Harvard in 1999 about this idea of resurrection, he had one of his students said to him, you know, I hope you're not right. Because... I've always hated my nose. And if I have to spend all of eternity with this nose, I'm going to be really upset. <laughs> and he literally said to her, you know, in reality, we have no way to answer that kind of a question. We don't know. But what we do know is what, what you just said, Jesse, is the idea that, that there was something distinctive about Jesus' body that was very much Jesus' body, but there was also something very distinctive about it that was not recognizable. And so, what exactly, how is it going to be? We're not sure. The, question, the point is, that, and I'm going, to, I'm going to quote him now, rather than trying to paraphrase it. This new body will be immortal. It will have passed beyond death. Not just in the temporal sense, that it happens to have gone through a particular moment event, but also in the ontological sense of no longer being subject to sickness or injury or decay and death itself. None of these destructive forces will ever have any other power over this new body. It literally is a transformation, not simply a replacement of the old. Now, saying that, on the morning of Jesus' resurrection, the very first one, his body disappeared. 
And the only way we can understand it or explain it was that it was transformed. That God in his power transformed it into this new spiritual body. Still physical, still able to eat food, still able to be touched, still had flesh and bones, still had the scars. That's the other thing. Still had the scars. We, you know, we can't explain what was going on. All we know is that it, it, it indeed was that. Now, this is the other question that came up with this, okay? And this is something where I've had conversations with fellow ministers about this in the past. Is it a Christian's uh, responsibility, or not responsibility, what's the word? Is it appropriate for a Christian to allow their body to be cremated? Or should they be buried whole? There are some Christians who truly feel that we should be buried whole. There are some who say it makes no difference. And having gone through all of this discussion right now, I've given you some, some thought to, to, to chew on for a while. I'm not going to tell you my thoughts because I've let you chew on your own for a little bit. We can talk about it some other time. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't. There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to blah, 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 one or the other. Yes, ma'am? Well, if, if uh, the sea the, the is going to give up all the dead, then certainly God can put together the ashes. I'll let you guys chew on that for a while. <laughs> the last thought that I want us to leave with before we, before we close out and go home, it's the statement that was in the last part of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul said, Death is swallowed up in victory. Again, one more statement from N.T. Wright. He said, Resurrection, we must never cease to remind ourselves, didn't mean going to heaven, didn't mean escaping death, or having some glorious and noble post-mortem experience. Rather, it meant coming to bodily life again after bodily death. Unless you're walking around on the face of the earth at the time that the trumpet is blown, you are going to die. In our Western culture, we don't like death. We sanitize death. We push it aside. Not, not a generation ago, when somebody died, the family would take the body into their home, prepare the body, cleanse it, dress it, get it ready for burial, and the body would literally lay in the living room of the home for a period of days before the service and the burial. My grandfather died, well, not my grandfather, my, my mother's mother's first husband died only a year and a half after their marriage. He was involved with an accident and he was killed and they had his body laying in state there in the living room and then after his burial and a year or so later then she married the man who became my grandfather. But, so as, even in my life, I've known people who, they actually did that. But we don't do that. I mean, we, we, we have places where dead people are taken. And we don't let them die in their homes. My grandmother, great-grandmother died in my grandparents' home because they were taking care of her. How many of you have ever been present when somebody breathed their last? Just a few. For the most part, we don't want to be there. For the most part... I can't deal with this. But the reality is, as Christians, what's the problem? If you truly say, 
I believe what this says. Death is swallowed up in victory. All this is, is the next step towards being with God forever. Because there's no guarantee as a Christian that you're going to get out of it. The only way you get out of it is if you live long enough until the time of the trumpet. Other than that, you're going to die. But there should be no fear. There should be no concern, no worry, no angst, no anxiety. And that same hope that you have in you, you should be able to effectively communicate to the other people around you so that they don't go through it. But the reality is, we don't want to die. I can't explain it. There's this, I don't want to die. I don't want to, I mean... We even talk about it with the Gethsemane experience with Jesus in the, in the garden. You'll hear many people, and I've said it myself, that his human side didn't want to die. But you have to, you have to come to the understanding that you trust God enough that you're wa- it's like standing on the edge of the roof and your daddy saying, jump, I'll catch you. If you truly trust him, if you truly believe his word, if it's real, you'll jump. And if you don't, you're going to wrap yourself around that chimney and tie yourself with duct tape and refuse to go. And that's not hope, folks. See, Peter said you should always be ready to give an explanation to anybody who asks about the hope that you have within you. And one of the key things that we say as Christians is, I have hope of eternal life. I know that I know that I know when I die, I'm going to go be with God. And all they think of is sitting on a puffy white cloud, playing a harp, being bored for all of eternity. I've just given you a little bit to chew on. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about what we do and where we go in these spiritual bodies that God is going to give us at the time of the resurrection. So let's close our time in prayer, and you can go home and start chewing on this. Get a cup of coffee, get a cup of tea, bring out your Bibles, call each other up on the phone and say, we got to talk. Let's pray.